Storie Libere presents... A few months have gone by since Dragon Lady has been released, the podcast in which Diksha has offered us her long testimony, the recollection of her experience as a woman of power inside the Sanyasin movement since the beginning. The news that Diksha was making statements quickly spread around the Sanyasin circles. However, without much glamour, as for some people, it's clearly better that this information circulate as little as possible. In the last episode of Dragon Lady, Diksha, who is the last one aside from Sheila who knows the truth behind Osha's story, has said that the decision to speak after so many years of silence had come after having found out that in some private groups on social media, former Sanyazin children have started to speak out about severe abuses in the communes. It's thanks to Diksha's testimony that so many former Sanyazin children, intrigued by what she would have said, decided to listen also to Soli, the podcast you're listening to now, and from which everything started in 2018. And so, one day, among the many messages thanking Diksha for her testimony, I received one completely different. Because when we talk about abuse and sex, there are many different ways one can take advantage of others. And the person looking for me wanted to tell me how listening to those stories and this podcast had suddenly helped her to connect the dots. Even more, a question Diksha answered has shaken the memories of this woman. It was related to how the community supported itself and how she, as a young girl, had supported it. I am Roberta Lippi and you're listening to a new episode of Soli, a journey dedicated to the stories and the memories of the children who grew up in Osha's communes between the beginning of the 70s and the mid-80s. This is Amara's story, and it's a brand new story because Amara, until recently, hadn't even considered that what she's about to share wasn't her free choice. My name is Amara. My life before Sanya's was like this. I'm the youngest of a few brothers and sisters, and I was born on the outskirts of a German town in the 60s. Yeah, considering the normal German families, we were like quite a few kids, like a big family. I was the youngest. And when I was still young, my parents got divorced at the beginning of the 70s, which was not so common yet in those days. And for me, that was uh, something I didn't see coming. There was never any huge trouble. Yeah, they kept it secret or something. Only lately when I talked with my sister, she said, yes, there were like really quite some heavy arguments. But because I was so little, probably that happened when I was in bed (laughs) at night or something. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, for many years, most of my adult life, I felt like I had a good childhood, but I think I repressed a lot of feelings. I know that when my parents got divorced, and it was like a shock because just from one day to the next, my father moved out. Amara, who at the time is still called Sabine, is seven years old when her parents divorce. The family goes through a drastic division 
The youngest, herself and her brother, three and a half years younger than her, will stay with a mother, while the older, who are at least ten years older than her, will go with the father. Moreover, little Sabine has grown up with a subconscious responsibility weighing on her shoulders of making her mother happy again. The woman, in fact, had lost a son when he was very little, and the arrival of this new daughter brings happiness again. I was kind of the replacement for this boy, and my mother had told me this also, that um, she was really desperate because this baby died, and then for years she was not well emotionally, and when I arrived, I then she, it was the first time that she could be happy again. And I think I had this role in my family and for my mother for sure to make up for losses or for things she didn't feel good about. I was always like very good at school. I was always bright and I was always smart. And she was also always presented me in front of people like this. Yeah, look at her. She does so well in school and she plays piano and she's very good at gymnastics. And because uh, there was a lot of trouble with the divorce and the one brother that stayed with us also was really a troublesome boy. And so I was like the, the little, um, you call it in German, Nesthäkchen, the, the tiny one, the, the sunshine of her life. And uh, I played this role and I was happy playing it. I've got a lot of love and recognition from her. But yeah, I think it was a bit... Uh, also, it must have been a stressful something as a child. Sabine lives her life between home and school. She's actually a resourceful little girl. And growing up, she becomes an even more curious teenager. Her family is open-minded and she's used to being around much older people like her brothers, who provide many stimuli, which her peers can't satisfy. When the brother who lives with her turns 18 and leaves home, she is left alone with her mother and starts to feel the need to belong again to a group. When I was a teenager, I started looking actively at groups with a spiritual background, because in my youth we weren't brought up religiously at all. My Mother, for sure, was an atheist, and the whole side of her family, they were not into religion at all. They were more like political and socialists, let's say, or left-wing interested people, open-minded. But yeah, I checked out the Christian youth groups, I checked out this place and that place, and then when my brother came at some point... Uh, to visit us as a sannyasin and with his red clothes. He really tried to work on me and my other brother also. And he, yeah, he took us with him to the local meditation center, the Osho center. And yeah, that's how it started. And so Sabine comes into contact with the sannyasin world when she's a teenager. As it happened to all the other sannyasins we've met so far, it's someone in the family, someone she trusts, who takes her inside this world. Sabine isn't particularly troubled by the freedom the group manifests. Since being very little, she has been exposed to an extremely free way of living and sharing of reality. After my parents divorced, it was decided by the court that my one brother and me would go and visit my father once a month. And my father lived with my other brothers and sisters. They lived in a house not so far from us. 
And when I was seven and eight and my brother was like 11 or something, we would go there regularly for weekends once a month. And that was like a completely different story from how I lived with my mother. Because my mother, she was more strict. She was also open-minded and modern in many ways, but she was much more strict than my father. My father was a really lovely man. Both my parents are like intellectuals, academically, um, you know, studied. Uh, but my father had always had an interest for like esoteric stuff. And also the reason why my mother divorced him was because he was never able to put his foot down. He was like a totally free thinking spirit, very creative. He was an artist. And as a father, he couldn't take his role in being an authority. My mother did that much more than he did. So when we would come to my father's house where my older brother, they were like 18, 20, 21 or something. It was always like this hippie commune that we would come to. And for me, it was really interesting. It was amazing, actually. <laughs> we would come into this totally different world. We would arrive Saturday morning and then everyone was still asleep at like 11 or 12 because they'd been clubbing together with my father. And it was like total chaos and there was art pieces everywhere. And um, I'm sure they took drugs, but I don't know. They didn't do it in front of us. But there was like, um, you know, my father did all this like unusual art that also he did erotic arts, like used pornographic material and like would change the pictures. So it wasn't like horribly looking, but still, I think when I was little, it, these things uh, were not laying around. But when I was maybe 12 or so or 11, this kind of stuff was just laying there. And it was also the time in the 70s was like this yeah, you know, you should be free and you should uh, experiment with sexuality. And not that it was done in front of me, but there was this whole um, atmosphere in the air that with sex, it's good to be not so prudish or so, you know, that was like not in every part of society, but our family or the, the, the father's side, my father and my older brothers and sister, they were thinking that was cool and no problem for smaller kids to, to see some pornographic comics. There was like these comics called um, from Robert Crumb. That was really okay. It wasn't like porno mags, but it was like art somehow it was a bit strange when i think about it so this you know somehow fits with the whole sanya's thing also yeah because that was a similar attitude you should be free and uh, not uptight and so sabine is used to such a free atmosphere as her brothers are one in particular the one who she will find one day dressed as a sanyasin seems to be searching for something like she is I don't know exactly his how it went for him. I just know we were all like free spirits somehow. Also, my older brothers, they have traveled the world. And my uncle from my father's side, already in the 50s, he went on a like a world trip. That was not so normal. Like nowadays, everyone's going backpacking. But in those days, he went to Japan and became a Buddhist monk. 
And I know uh, in when I was like already 12, 13, there were some Buddhist books laying around and I had a look. I think my brother who got into sannyas also had these influences, of course, and he was traveling. He had a sailing boat and he took people on board and then he went to Ibiza and Ibiza, of course, is an island where also like a lot of alternative people lived uh, in the 70s already and um, yeah I think he met some sannyasins and he was like always looking for uh, alternative ways of living and communities I mean I know we were talking about like when we were still living at home as one family there was this talk about summer hill that's like a, an alternative school like anti-authoritarian ways like a communal school like a boarding school but pe but the kids were like left completely free without guidelines and all these influences i think made it that us we were yeah looking in these directions summerhill is a school founded in 1921 in germany by alexandre sutherland neil it's based on libertarian pedagogy and not repressive it welcomes children from 4 to 16 divided by age in different accommodations but they attend lessons based on their skills, regardless of their age. The lessons are obviously optional, and infantile sexuality is given free expression. Conflicts are resolved in front of the internal court. In 1927, the school moves to England in Suffolk. Do you remember which other school decided to base itself there? Medina. Exactly. But today, we won't be talking about schools. Even if Summerhill just turned a hundred and is still one of the most controlled schools by the British government. Let's go back to Sabine and when her brother, back from a trip, arrives home to his mother with the sannyasin robe and the mala around his neck, instilling into his younger sister, who is now 15, an immediate curiosity towards that strange world into which he quickly takes her. Thinking, why did my mother let us spend so much time with him? But because I think from the age 14, 15, I was always looking in the direction of uh, it was like this crowd with my older siblings, and they had like a whole clique. We always went to see them, and this older brother he took us to the meditation center in the center of town, and um, he said, yeah, let's try. We do it all together. Like why one brother and him and me. So we were the three of us. We would go to the meditation, do dynamic meditation, do Kundalini meditation. I was 15 and I thought, wow, this is a nice atmosphere. And um, I liked it. It was also such a contrast to my life that I was still living, going to school and uh, being a very good girl and still in this role of yeah, you have to please mama, but then it was a way of breaking out of that. Sabine doesn't take the sannyas yet. She's too young, and for the moment, she's only interested in frequenting those places. She does so also when her brother leaves for a new trip. In this moment, her parents have completely opposite ideas about her new acquaintances. Then my brother left on another trip, and because he had introduced me to the sannyas center, I actually went there on my own also sometimes. I just like this atmosphere of like this people hugging and slowly 
got more and more interested. And my father actually never became a sannyasa, but he gave me for my birthday an Osho book that I wanted to have. And I really got into it. I went and started to dress in red and went to school. And then, uh, yeah, because my also the my mother actually tried to go against it at some point. She thought she could convince me to... Um, she could see right away that it was strange to wear a, a necklace with the photo of um, a man. And uh, she didn't like that. And there was a movie called Ashram and Puna. And she said, let's go and see that. And thinking she could get me off this idea of wa wanting to be part of it. Because in the movie, there were scenes like from these group therapy sessions where actually people said people had been beaten and all that. But I had been already influenced so much by my brother and by the whole that I thought it was cool. And my mom said, look, you know, she grew up under Hitler. And she said, I know what it's like, you know, that when people make a, put one person in charge of their lives and, and there's a picture everywhere how they used to be in the 30s and 40s of Hitler everywhere. She said, it's, it's, this is no good. But I was already hoped when I was 15, 16, somehow. Sabine's mother mentions Hitler. We've heard it from Dick Chateau. We know today that Osho even took him as an example. He was in fact his inspiring figure. Osho aspired to use the same methods to govern the world thanks to his power and his huge following, even certain that he could overtake Hitler where he had failed. But obviously, no Sanyazin has known about this until today. That is, until Diksha told us. How could little Sabine know in the 70s? The comparison her mother makes seems to her absurd. And then I left home at 16. We got more and more into trouble, my mother and me. I was the last one living at home, just her and me. And I felt lonely also. And then I thought, yeah, fuck it. I just want to live with the sannyasin. I got more to know more sannyasin people. And I lived in a, in a sannyas a communal house, not an official sannyas center, but it was like right next to the official sannyas center. And I lived there with my one younger brother and me. and. We lived together and I was at the Sanya Center every day doing meditation, still going to school in the beginning. But then at some point I th it was too much because I had to make my own living also. When I left home, my mother was very hurt, of course. I was only 16 to leave home. That's young. She said, okay, if you choose to do that, then do it. But don't come back and ask for money. Then you have to take care of yourself. I went to school and did all kinds of jobs cleaning early in the morning, all dressed in red the whole time. And then at some point I asked my older brother, the one who was on Sanyasin already, he said, I said, look, it's really too much. And what do you think? Do you think I have to finish school? I would have to do like three more years or two more years to do the, what they call Abitur. So you could go to university. And he was like, ah, you know, he was already like 28. And he said, ah, why well, you should, this is all bullshit. The, this bourgeois uh, society, you don't need to study. And then I just dropped school. And um, when I was 17, I took the initiation. And um, my father signed for it because I was underage. Of course, I was under 18. 
So he needed to sign that I could take sannyas, and he did it. Sabine becomes Amara and becomes part of the sannyasin community. But even now, in the shared house she lives in, she's the youngest, because her flatmates are more or less the same age of her brother, in their 20s. Besides, the flatmates often change. People come and go. Even in the sannyasin center, if there's people of the same age, they're there because their parents are sannyasin. Her older brother visits her every now and then since the house is closed to the official commune. We are right in the middle of the time when Osho decides to leave India and move to America. And Amara, like many other sannyasin, has only one dream, to helping build the promised land and join him there at least once a year because the news arriving from the U.S. is exciting. When I left home, first I was doing all kinds of jobs. I was working with kids. I was doing babysitting. I was working in a restaurant. I was also working in the restaurant of the Sanya Center. But then it was these festivals that within the Sanya scene, it was actually really promoted they bought the ranch and, of course, this big piece of land needed to be built. And there was this plan to make a, a city for thousands of sannyasins who should be able to go and live there. And there came the, all these like schemes, I think, from their side. I remember someone coming from America, a sannyasin woman, and then they had like a, they fundraising actions like, uh, yeah, everyone buy a tree for $100 and then you will have your own tree to grow there. And then also for all the sannyasins to come together was, of course, when you were a sannyasin, that's what you wanted. You wanted to be with the master and you wanted to be with other sannyasins. That was always like what Bhagwan said also, I will have 10,000 Buddhas at my feet and the Buddhas would be us on our way to enlightenment. And this will all, um, you know, in the presence of an enlightened person, which he said he was, it will like ignite your own spirit. And there's a certain vibe, which there was for sure, because I've experienced it. I don't know if I got enlightened or anyone. And I doubt this whole concept of enlightenment these days, but there was a very special atmosphere. A special atmosphere that Amara still wants to experience. And then, as she says, a particular event that every sannyasin wants to take part in occurs. The first summer festival of Rajnishpuram in Oregon. It was promoted a lot that you should come to the festivals which were like the first one was happening in 1982. That was the year when I took sannyas and I was 17. And it was really pushed. It was this time when Sheila's came into picture and when everything got a lot of authority from the higher ranks within the Sanya scene. And they said, you must earn, all earn money. And there was all these discotheques and restaurants and people worked there for free. And a lot of money was created to build up the ranch. And the people who did not live in the official Sanyasin communes, but later on I found out even some people who were living in the official sannyasin, a lot of the women actually took to working in the red light districts of those various European cities. 
And one of the flatmates I lived with was doing that also. I already, when I was like 16 and I was still living home, I had heard about from a friend that in India, when Ush was still in India, there was women who went from Pune to Bombay to make money as prostitutes, to spend time in these big um, fancy hotels and um, spend a few nights and make lots of dollars or yeah, so that they would have money to spend in Pune. And I just knew it was like common that the, a lot of the women who were mostly older than me worked in the red light district. And I started to do that actually at 17 because there was a, like a lot of pressure from the Sanya Center to go and, and go to America to this first festival. Amara says it quickly, in one breath. And actually, there's really no other way to say it. This is what we're talking about and where we'll get to without too many hanging points, too much beating around the bush. The story of how an ordinary girl finds herself having to make as much money as possible in as many ways as possible, believing that that money is needed to make a dream of hers come true. And it was also like somehow there was all this money-making attitude that... uh, the people who got it together to pay for those trips. And that was a lot of money, especially for a 17, 18-year-old, of course, because in those days you didn't have any cheap flights or so. So you needed, like, in order to go to the ranch, to this festival, you needed, like, a few thousand Deutschmarks in those days, or dollars or whatever, to pay for the festival, which was not cheap, and to pay for the flight. And so I, like so many others, Working in the red light district, I dropped school, I stopped working, doing normal jobs, and I, other people convinced me, or I just saw it happening so much, and it was, I didn't, you know, I was so young that I didn't think anything of it. How has Amara come to this? She still struggles to live with it. The thing is, if you live in a commune linked to a leader, you believe that what he does and what people of the commune say is right. Everyone thinks the same way. The idea of resorting to prostitution to make easy money had already been planted. It was said and not said, but it was something tangible. It was a subject of discussion inside the community, and those who gravitated around the community knew that these things were happening when talking about sannyasins. One thing, when I look back, is very disturbing for me also, is that before I actually started to work there, I told you I was living in this communal sannyasin household next to the official sannyas commune, that I was there with my brother and my oldest brother came to visit. And then at some point, some strange guy who nobody knew had turned up on the doorstep and asked if he could stay a few nights. And it was like normal that some people from other cities who needed a place to stay, and it was a friend of so-and-so, and, and, ah, yeah, can I stay? Okay, stay. And he knew somebody vaguely. So um, someone said, yeah, yeah, he's going to stay with me. And this guy came. I just remember sitting there discussing with my oldest brother, who must have been like, 28, 29 at the time, and me, I was 17, and this 
strange guy who didn't look very attractive either. He said, yeah, I'm, I've come here because I want to do live sex shows in the red light district. I know that you can make a lot of money when you do live sex shows. And we were discussing, seriously, if I would go and do live sex shows with this guy who I didn't know, who I didn't find attractive. And it was my brother, me and him sitting there. And I can't remember my brother saying, listen, are you crazy or what? You're not going to do anything like this. He didn't say that to me. And he didn't say that to this guy either, which would normally, if you're a big brother, you protect your little sister. But we were talking, yeah, yeah, that could be a possibility. And should I do it or not? And thank God I had the natural instinct to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But I was, because these two grown-up men were talking about it like in such a matter-of-fact way, I was considering it for a little bit. And this, to me, in retrospective, is so strange that my own brother who was somehow, if you talk about was there a guide in my life, was it Osho? No, more in the background. My, because I was close to my brother, he was more my guide for a while. Yeah, so this, my guide, he was thinking about sending his little sister to do this kind of work. This is so strange. But I don't know. I confronted my brother not so long about this situation. He said, I never said that. I always said you shouldn't do any of this stuff. And uh, you didn't want to listen, but hmm, I'm not sure. Amara's brother is part of the adults, the adults that today continue to deny it. They say that the children had to speak up, ask for help, that they didn't ask the right questions back then, and so they put the blame on the victims. Of course, he was himself a victim of a strange collective mirage. Just like Amara, who, despite being a minor, until today never thought that she was being abused and manipulated by the community's way of thinking. But it was the community. It was the Sanyazin telling her that she had to make money, a lot of money, for the community. I didn't do that, but not so much after this incident. I started to do peep shows like so many other Sanyas women. There was a lot of Sanyasin women who were working in peep shows and doing so-called only dancing. Peep shows were something mostly that was invented in the 80s, where there was a girl on stage on like a platform that would turn around, it would, would turn in a circle the whole time and the men had to throw in one mark and the, a window would open up and they could look at this naked girl and the naked girl would spread her legs and they could look at her genitals and she would do like, you know, sexy dancing and a very fucked up thing and yeah, you could make a lot of money in these places but mostly Actually, for the only those shows on stage and the dancing, you didn't really make them the real money. The real money was, you know, having interactions with these clients. There was like um, the stage, but secretly there was like some cabins, some booths. They called it solo cabin, and you would be on stage. The man would see you, and there was a photo of you somewhere in the entrance, and. Um, 
they could say, can I have so-and-so, can I have Amara in the private booth? And then, yeah, but this was all a process. I didn't do that from day one. I started working there and doing only the dancing for a while. And so Amara starts working more regularly in peep shows, first for just a few hours, and then more and more, first in the day, and then at night too, until a moment arrives, one of those sliding door moments, one that which, had it gone the opposite way of what you wanted, would have perhaps changed your life. I started working uh, there when I was 17 and a half, and um, I wanted to make money so desperately because the next summer the festival would be there. So I was working there uh, in the beginning maybe two, three times a week. And then there were moments also where I worked there five days a week, sometimes day shifts, sometimes night shifts. Police would sometimes come and check the place and check especially the women who were not German, like African women or uh, anyone that they thought looks a little bit suspect or so, and they would take them to the police station and check their papers. And um, I was 17, but I always looked older, already from the age of 13. I looked like I was 18 somehow. And they did not check me. In this moment, I thought, oh, thank God. And now I think, oof, I wish they would have checked me because they would have seen that I'm not 18 yet. And it, uh, it's illegal, of course, for a kid. Uh, I was officially still a, a child. And then it would have been a whole uproar and my mother would have been informed and I don't know what, have, what would have happened. Maybe I would have, yeah, I don't know. But it didn't happen. So what I did was... Uh, I just thought, okay, I can't go back until I'm 18. But I decided that day that they turned up that when I'm 18, and that was only a few more months to go, that I would work there full on and I would make, try and make the money to go to the next festival. I couldn't make it to the first one because police was there. So I stayed behind. And I know from the Sanyas center it was like looked at all those losers who didn't make it to go to the festivals a little bit or within the sanya scene was a little bit this arrogance of yeah whoever doesn't get it together doesn't get their money together is a bit of a loser so i was with this feeling and i made up my mind that i at the point where i would be 18 i would go and really work hard and make it to the next festival Amara is determined to achieve her objective, earning enough to prove that she's a true sannyasin, go into America and be part of their shared dream, even if to do that she has to close her eyes and go through a nightmare. I am Roberta Lippi and this is Soli. I'll be waiting for you with the second part of Amara's story on storielibere.fm and wherever you listen to podcasts. I am Roberta Lippi, and this is Soli. You can listen to my podcasts, Dragon Lady and Love Bombing, on storielibere.fm and wherever you listen to podcasts. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Post and sound design Era Zero.